love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. Somebody say, no, duh. <laughs> it is the wars and rumors and wars and pestilence, so it's the last hour, all right. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have already come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. Father God, we declare that you are a way maker. What does that mean? It means when we look like we have no options, you're there. <laughs> opening doors that man can't open. Forging a path that we didn't even know was possible. You're a miracle worker. You're a promise keeper. It's not what you do, God. It's who you are. God, we've gathered today in, in living rooms and bedrooms and here in Columbia and Baltimore and literally all over this nation and churches all over the world, God, to lift up your name, to worship you, to magnify you, to sit in your presence. God, to hear you speak to us in a way that we've never heard before. So God, we're making a commitment today before you even speak, God, that we're going to obey because we know on the other side of every word. It's a promise that's above and beyond anything that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. So, God, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. We give you the praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Uh, just a quick few uh, announcements before I jump in. Next week, somebody say next week. Next week's just going to be fun. Next week's going to be fun. There's a lot going on, and we're starting a brand new series called I'm Not That Spiritual. I'm not, I'm not that spiritual. And I'm pumped. I'm excited about this message. Uh, I can't really leak it because uh, if I give you any of it, you're going to kind of know the gist and I don't want to give you the gist. I just wanted you to know everybody who's too blessed to be stressed, uh, next week's message is going to be really good for you. All of those who God is good all the time and all the time God is good, but you didn't, still didn't tell me how you're doing, uh, you're really going to enjoy next week's message. Not only are we starting a brand new series next week, but next week is our regathering Sunday. The doors are open. Make sure that you reserve your ticket online here in Columbia and in Baltimore. And I, I'm telling you, our team has worked so hard to make sure the auditorium is disinfected in between every service, wiping down services, temperature checking, Dream Team volunteers and Destiny Kids. I mean, this place is looking like the NBA bubble right now, the way they are making sure that it is safe for you. So I encourage you that you can actually take that step knowing that I'm covered, that I'm safe. And hear me, I'm not rushing you. If you don't feel that this is the right time for you and your family, we're still going to be broadcasting online and you can view online until September. I'm joking. It'll be on there forever. Uh, so make sure that you kind of do just what you feel convicted to do. And then the last thing is our 21 days of prayer and fasting starts next 
Sunday. I am believing for miracles to break out in this church. And we will be fasting uh, for those 21 days. Feel free to pick any type of fast that you, 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 you want to go with. Some people, you know, they'll do a modified fast where they'll only do, you know, whatever it may be. No meat for 21 days or no carbs for 21 days. Or some people will do what they call a Jewish fast, which you don't eat from sun up to sundown, which is usually like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And then after 6, you eat like a king. You store up like a bear in the winter and get ready. That's not fasting, y'all. If you fast for 12 hours and then eat three meals between 6 p.m. and the time you go to bed, you just move your meals to a different time of the day. But I'm telling you, it's not about abstaining from food. It's about making room for God to move, to speak, to encourage your faith in a way that he's able to do what he's always wanted to do in our life. He's just waiting for our attention. Amen. As we conclude this series, we've been in this series for the last three weeks. This is the fourth week called Cancel Culture. Cancel Culture. We've talked about, man, I'm so grateful, I'm so thankful that God does not cancel people, that God has grace, that God gives a second chance. If you are still breathing, there is still time. So often we cancel ourselves from opportunity before God even has a chance to cancel us. God says, no, 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 no. I always want the best for you. Your best days are always ahead of you. There's no such thing as the good old days because the old days pair in comparison to the glory upon glory upon glory upon glory that God wants to take you to. We talked about if we cancel people, at most it should be temporarily. Come on now, with a heart of reconciliation. Now, right now, you're just not going to have access to my life, to my family, to my business or whatever it would be. But I'm praying that God would arrest your heart, that he would reconnect us, that we can do like Paul and John, kingdom ministry together. And what I want to talk about today is not cancel culture, but culture canceled. I thought that was witty. Did you guys like that? I just took the title and flipped it on the other side. Okay, be serious. Now, here, here, here's, here's what, what concerns me. My concern for people who are Christ followers, people who profess the name of Jesus, people that say, I am a Christian. My concern is that the culture of the world is canceling Christ in us more than the Christ in us is canceling the culture around us. My concern is that not are we actually just adopting a cancel culture, but by adopting a cancel culture long before it became a phrase that the kingdom culture within us is being canceled by the environment around us. When you think about culture, this is just Stephen, but here's my definition of culture. Culture is the actions, the beliefs, and the attitudes of a community of people. Culture is what they do. It's why they do it, and it's how excited they are about doing it. For example, Destiny Church has a Baltimore Ravens culture. You know, sometimes you just have to prophesy. You have to call things that are not as though they are. What does that mean? It means, well, I don't watch the games because I'm always preaching during the games. Unless it's Sunday night, Monday night, or Thursday night. But we are huge Ravens fans. Somebody say amen. That was weak. But hey, I'm building your faith. I'm building your faith. God is going to speak a new word. This is the prophetic word for you today. Black and purple, not yellow. Anyway, 
But culture is the actions. It's, it's what you do. It's why you do it. And it's also how excited you are about doing it. So I could have adopted a culture without doing it. If I believe it's right, I'm excited about it's right, I've adopted that culture even though I don't participate in that culture. And my concern is that the culture of the world around us that we've picked up, maybe the culture we've inherited from our family, maybe, maybe our southern culture or our West Coast culture or our New York culture. I was playing golf uh, uh, this week with, with, with a friend of mine, and, and, and I didn't know much about him, just met him a month or two ago. And, and after about the second hole, I said, you're from New York, aren't you? And he had this big smile on his face. He said, yeah, Brooklyn. How do you know? I was like, you Brooklyn boys, y'all just walk different. You talk different. You just have this don't mess with me swag. I could tell where you're from. My mom grew up in Brooklyn, so you could kind of know what that Brooklyn DNA is. Many of us, we've built a culture based on the environment that we've grown up in. Maybe adopted a culture from our family or from our friends or from our coworkers or from our political affiliation. or from the vocation that we picked, or the career, or whatever it may be, and we've picked up all of these cultures, not even realizing that the culture that we've adopted, the culture that we're living out, the culture that we're walking in is anti to the culture of the kingdom. That it actually doesn't align with who God says we ought to be and what he desires in our life. Here's what the book of John is warning us, beware that you don't fall in love with the culture around you. Now, notice this is, this is just something that, that, that we as Christians always do. We, we often uh, put our own words in the Bible. For example, you, you ever heard the verse uh, that money is the root of all evil? Yeah, that's not in the Bible. Here's what the verse says. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. <laughs> this is Steve Harvey one time. He said, you know, they said money is the root of all evil. He said, being poor is pretty evil too. I, uh, <laughs> the Bible didn't say that money is evil. It says loving it is evil and it leads to all kinds of dishonesty. God didn't say liking things on this earth is evil. He didn't say that, oh, nothing about this earth is good. I don't want wealth, I don't want promotion, I don't want influence, I don't want no, I don't want anything. I'm just waiting for the sweet by and by when my God is going to catch me up. I was going to say, well, go now, but that's not really nice, so I'm not going to say that. No, 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 no. He didn't say that we shouldn't live in the world. He didn't say that we shouldn't enjoy things of the world. He didn't say that we shouldn't have goals and ambitions. He just said don't fall in love with it. Because he said, if you fall in love with the world's way of doing things, there will be no room for the love of God in your heart. Well, well, what, what are the world's ways of doing things? It says this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. What is that? How things make me feel. How, how sensational it is. How, how, how things look. How indulgence. I, I live my life based on what looks good. If it looks good, I'm going for it. If it doesn't look good, I'm not going for it. Well, here's the problem. There's some things that look good but are not God. And there's some things that do not look good, but they lead to prosperity. He said the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and he said the pride of life. Here, here, here's how I sum up the mindset of the world, how it makes me feel, how it looks, and how it makes me look. 
So when you've fallen in love with the world, every decision that you make, the decisions of your life are based on how it makes you feel, how it looks to you, and how it makes you look. And if it doesn't make you feel good, if it doesn't look good, and it doesn't make you look good, then you walk away from it. And here's what John is saying. You've already fallen in love with the world. And I understand because some of it is just survival. It's like, look, if I'm going to have any friends, I'm going to have to learn to talk like they talk. I'm going to have to learn how to interact. Me and my wife, we were in Mexico before this whole pandemic, and uh, we picked up, and I, 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 I took Spanish uh, back like junior year of high school, and um, yeah, I didn't do too well. And I tested out in college. I don't know how that happened, but 12 years after college, I, I, I'm not even going to try it. Was it pequeño? Very mucho, mucho pequeño. I have like no Spanish whatsoever. But guess what we figured out about two days down there? We're like, if we want to buy anything, eat anywhere, go anywhere, we're going to have to figure out. We have our Google translator on. We're putting our English in. We're translating to Spanish because we got to figure out how we're going to get around here. And I feel some of us, we've adopted the culture around us just because i got to survive. Like, if I'm going to get a promotion at this job, if I'm going to make any income, if I'm going to make any clients, if I'm going to be able to feed my family, i got to learn the language around me. If I'm going to build my brand, if I'm going to build my career, I have to learn the culture that I'm in. But here's the problem. At what expense? Not only that, John went on to say, he said, you know that, 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 that boogeyman, you know, that you hear about the... The Antichrist. Who? The Antichrist. Who? The boogeyman. Oh, he's coming. He's coming. But I'm going to be gone by the time he gets here. You know, by the time it all breaks out. You know, Revela I don't even read Revelation for real, for real. Because that don't even apply to me. I'm not planning on being around for all that. She's going to come and get me up here. And I'm going to be watching this from the club section. You know what I mean? I, no, no, no. Here's what John said. He said, the Antichrist isn't here, but the spirit of Antichrist is. In other words, there are things in our culture, and let me not get you caught up on end times word, antichrist, that are just opposite to God. And he said, hey, if you're not mindful, if you're not careful, this culture will suck you in and take away all your potency for what God placed you here on this earth to do. So I want to give you just three thoughts, three thoughts about culture, canceling the world's culture in our lives. The first thing is this, write this down. Isolation was never the goal. When God said, do not love the world or anything of it, he never intended isolation to be our response. In John chapter 17, verse 15, it says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. This is Jesus praying before he was crucified, before he was caught up. He said, here is my goal for the church. My goal is that you would be unified, that you would be one with each other, just like I'm one with the Father. He said, but I'm not praying that you would come with me. I'm not praying that you would be taken out. Man, that really stinks when you're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> God says, I'm not praying that you would be taken. Really, God? I'd really appreciate it if right now you're sitting at the right hand of the Father. You can intercede that I'm taking. He said, no, 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 I'm not praying that you would come out of it. I'm praying that you would be kept in it. Not that you would be made to stay in it, but in the midst of it that it wouldn't affect you. 
God never intended as believers for us to create this holy little Christian bubble where we hang out with all the little Christian friends and tell our corny little Christian jokes and live our little Christian life waiting for Christ to return. No, he said, I placed you in the world to affect the world, just not to be of the world. <laughs> this is going to be Bible for a second. Is that okay? The church, if you follow it from when Jesus ascended into heaven and and left us to make disciples of, of all the world. The church would follow this pattern where we would face major persecution. That persecution would drive us out of our comfort zone. And then by being driven out of our comfort zone, we would get around people that we weren't used to being around and we would share the hope and the freedom of Christ. If you read through the scripture, it was Philip that was driven from Jerusalem when he ran into the Ethiopian eunuch and, 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 and Paul going different places. But as they would spread the gospel and people would begin to apply God's word to their life, prosperity would come. Because it's impossible to apply the truth and the power of God to your life and your life gets worse. God will always build up, not tear down. But with that building up comes comfort, comes peace, and comes a lack of urgency to share the hope that you have with other people. And as the church would get comfortable and we would sit back, rock back in our prosperity, God would say, hey, I got to turn up the heat a little bit more. And then more persecution would come or more problems that would spread the church, activate the church back to what he has called us to do. This is just Stephen. Don't take it as a prophetic word. God didn't cause this pandemic, but I think he is using it. I think one of the issues is that the church has gotten too comfortable in the fact that we are, I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay because I can get in trouble. It's amazing to me that people who don't feel an urgency to share their faith with other people always feel that their salvation is secure. You can have the luxury of not wanting to share your faith when you feel like I'm one of the ones that's already in. But when you have the revelation that I may be in, but my dad's not. My brother's not, my sister's not, my cousin's not, my coworker that I love and do life with is not. It stirs that urgency back up. I think there was something about this pandemic where God said, you've been huddling in churches too much. You, 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 you've been having your, your, your catalyst services where you're worshiping God and the power of God is flowing and you've walked right out the door with the mindset of when can I go back into that? Instead of where can I take what God did in me and impact those around me. Isolation was never the goal. God never created us to live in this incubation. And I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm always in trouble, Tammy, so it's whatever. I, I, I'll talk to Christian, you know, if I'm going to get promoted at my job, I'm going to have to go to happy hour. But, but I'm a Christian. And I'm not going into that environment. Why not? Well, a Christian shouldn't be at happy hour. Maybe. Maybe not. I'll tell you this, though. If you don't go, you'll never be able to influence anybody around you. There's alcoholics that go to happy hour. They sneak up to the bartender and they say, hey, uh, can you just get me water on the rocks? I don't drink. The bartender's like, I got you. And all day they eat shots of water. <laughs> water, water, water. 
And I'm, not, I'm just using an example. I'm not trying to force you into an environment that you don't feel comfortable in. But here's what I'm saying. So often we remove ourselves from places that God has called us to impact. He said, my goal is not to take you out. My goal is to keep you in, covered. So that you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20 says this, now that we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Can you imagine if the United States of America had an ambassador to Ecuador who lived in Boston? How are you going, <laughs> I was going to say to embass, <laughs> how are you going to represent our country if you live in our country. The only way you are going to represent the country is if you live in an opposite country where you were sent there to represent us. And by the way, if you spent your entire time in that country locked up in a consulate, hmm? The consulate of Destiny Church. Uh-oh. If you spend all your time locked up in an environment that has been incubated for your peace, how do you expect to advocate at all for the kingdom that you represent? Yeah. He never called us to be isolated. He called us to impact the environment. What environments are you impacting? Now, I do need to say this. Some of us haven't come out long enough to go back in. <laughs> I'm going to be a light in my fraternity. Yeah, but you just crossed and uh, we're going to need you to get in the connect group and freedom group and just spend a little bit of time getting a whole lot of Jesus in you before you step back in there to spread. The, you can't. You, this is what Peter and John said. He says, silver and gold have I not, but that which I have. You can't give what you don't have. And if you don't have much of Jesus, you can't. So don't go to environments where you're going to have to give out a lot of Jesus if you don't. Hmm? Just think about it. Moses was sent in the wilderness for 40 years before he was sent back to Egypt to impact it. Paul was sent away for three years before he was sent to the Gentiles to impact it. Jesus, silence from like 13 to 30. 17 years. No, what is that? Yep, 17 years. We never heard anything about Jesus. And then when we finally heard about Jesus, up, oh, he's here. Wilderness for 40 days. So isolation is always a prerequisite to step in and impact in an environment. But here's the thing. Isolation is a season, not a lifetime. It was not, hey, never, ever, ever be around anybody who doesn't think like you, talk like you, walk like you, or believe like you. How do you expect to impact people around you? But make sure you're sure what you believe. Make sure you're sure what you think. Make sure you're sure of the power that's in you before you step into an environment trying to change it. First thing is this, isolation was never the goal. The second thing is this, discernment is essential. It's not just a matter of, hey, I need to step into an environment because I'm light. God's called me to be light. No, 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 no. He said you actually have to discern. You have to know what's going on in the environments that you're in. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists, that's lowercase a, 
means not the boogeyman, but the boogeyman's shadow. <laughs> the Antichrist have come by which we know that it is the last hour. What does that mean? Here's what that means. It means that there are atmospheres, mindsets, actions, cultures that are opposite to God. That already are at work. Hear me. In every environment that you step into. That's why I am outrageously concerned when Christians strongly affiliate with any political party or any set of ideologies or beliefs. Here's why. Because there is always going to be an aspect of it that is anti-God. So, so, so if you're a Christian and you're a Democrat, you, you, you should at best be Democrat light. <laughs> what does that mean? I lean this way mostly, but not totally. Because all of it is not in alignment with who God is. If you find yourself as a Christian and you're Republican, you should be Republican light. A lot of it I agree with, but not all of it is God. And because of that, I'm not going to become this huge champion of a belief system that is not 100% who God is. Here's the problem. I feel we don't even pay attention. We don't, we don't look up. We don't. There was this really, really bad joke uh, of these two men, and they were trapped out in the wilderness, and, and, and they were starving. They were hiking through, the, through, through a desert, and, and they had three cans of food. It's a disgusting joke, so you, you could just warn you. They were starving to death. It was their last night of food, and, and, and they had a lighter, so they flicked their lighter, and they opened the can, and, and I won't get too disgusting, but I looked in the can, and it, 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 it was bad. It was stuff going on in the can. So they threw that can out, and they opened the second can, they turned their lighter on, and they, they looked in it, and it was bad again. It was, you know, so they threw that one out. Right before they opened the third can, and one guy took the lighter, and he threw it. And he said, open the can. They opened the can. They didn't see anything, so they ate it. <laughs> they just turned the light on. They're like, if we keep inspecting this this closely, we're going to keep finding stuff we don't want to find. We're gonna... I feel like that's been some Christian's approach to life. If I keep inspecting the friends that I have, the environments that I walk into, the beliefs that people have, the music, the, the things that I watch, the, the political pundits, the news, or what, if I keep on inspecting it, then I won't be able to partake of any of it, so I'm going to stop looking. And we're losing our discernment. Matthew chapter 10 verse 16 says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. Here's what Jesus said. Hey, there's an enemy that is out there to steal, kill, and destroy everything that you have. So wake up. Stop, stop acting <laughs> like it's mulberry and you got your front door unlocked and, you know, everything. Oh, it's just, oh, you know. And, and I find sometimes we, we're just so quick to be gracious and to show people grace that we have no discernment. Oh, oh, yeah, they stabbed me in the back. Oh, but they meant well. They were going for a rib. 
<laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, you know, you know, you know. They, they, I mean, they don't hate God. I know they said it, but they just, you know, they're trying to find themselves. No, no, here's what the Bible says. It says you should be as shrewd as a snake. When we were growing up, me and my brother Daniel, he was the, you know, every family, if you have more than one kid, even if you have one kid, there's the, there's the animal outdoorsy one that just, I mean, they, they just, they're the one that brings the frog in the house, brings the lizard in, you know, all that other kind of stuff. That was Daniel. And, and, and I, w I didn't have that much braves or guts, but, but I kind of tagged along with Daniel. And between me and him, we convinced our parents to let us get a pet snake. Yeah. Our parents didn't have much discernment at the time. I don't know why they said, but they let us have it. So, so, so we went and ordered. You know, you can order anything online. Like, you could obviously buy a tiger online. You could buy snake. You could do whatever you want. So we got a little, a little bold python or whatever it may be, and, and we put this thing in the cage, and we got the little, I'm a grocery out again, a little frozen mice and all that, and we're, we're feeding the snake. And, I mean, it was cool for, like, three weeks. But what happened was uh, my brother was feeding the, the, the snake, and the snake went for the mouse, and he mistook my brother's finger for the mouse. Now, there's a little, you know, snake about this big, so he, he bled, but, I mean, he didn't die. <laughs> so anyway, after he got nipped one time, he said, I'm done. <laughs> so he, he threw the mice in instead of dropped them in. We didn't know what was going on, but the snake stopped eating. It just got thinner and thinner and thinner. Uh, I saw you, and your animal rights people, send your emails to elevation at your. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so we were just like, you know, he's not eating. He's going to die eventually. We could. We just got to wait him out. <laughs> About two weeks of the snake not eating. We go into Daniel's room, and it's gone. Y'all, we're like, okay, maybe he died and he got up under the hay. No, ain't no snake under the hay. Can I tell you how smart that snake was? He saw a little crack in the top of his crate, but he realized he was too fat to get through it. So he's like, if I fast for two weeks... This is good. <laughs> we thought he didn't like what we were feeding him. He was planning his escape. Homie got out. How do you tell your mother who didn't want the snake in the first place that he gone? <laughs> Y'all, do you understand for two weeks that snake was roaming around our house and I could not sit on a toilet to save my life? I just had this mental picture of that little pipe. Like, <laughs> I go to sit down, I'm jumping up and all this other kind of stuff. Long story short, two weeks later, we find the snake. Well, my mom found the snake under a pile of laundry. It was, it was the event, y'all, the entire neighborhood heard when she found this snake. And here's what Jesus said. You should be that smart. You should be that alert of your environments. You should be that aware of, is this of God or is this not of God? He said, you, he said you should be shrewd as a serpent, but as innocent as a dove. Can I preach just for a second? 
You should be shrewd but not bitter. You should be aware but not manipulative. In other words, it says don't, don't just be mindless, just go, oh, life is good. No, 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 no. There is an enemy. He's attacking your marriage. He's attacking your children. He's attacking your finances. He's attacking your destiny, your purity, your future. You should be aware of what's going on around you, but don't allow it to make you cynical. Don't allow it to make you mistrusting of people, bitter, and, and, and just have some. Don't allow it to make you judgmental. Stay as innocent as the dove, which represents the Holy Spirit. But stay alert. Know what is going on. So every time I write a message, and I'm kind of giving you guys my uh, <laughs> philosophy behind preaching. I always write a message from this position or thought. What's in it for me? Like, I know that God wants me to do it. He wrote it in his word. But anybody would be honest enough to say... <laughs> Just because God wants me to do it doesn't mean I want to do it. Am I the only one? We'll save that for next week. I'm not that spiritual. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love God with all my heart. But everything he asks me to do, I don't say it, but I think. So, so what do I get out of it? Here's why God says you need to be alert and not love the things of the world. I'll give it to you simple. Because everything that's built from the world's mindset is going to crumble. And if you build from that antichrist spirit, whatever you're building will not last. Somebody say break it down. Antichrist, antichrist, let me break it down. How it makes me feel, how it looks, how it makes me look. I don't know why I'm always hanging out around marriage, but let's hang out around marriage for a second. If your marriage is built on how it makes you feel, how it looks on the ground, and how it makes you look. Husband, you will never lay your life down for your wife as Christ laid his life down for the church. Because it don't look good. Come on now. You will never vacuum in the entire house before date night. Because it don't make you feel good. Huh? If your career is built on how it makes me feel, how it looks... And how it makes me look. I'm going to say this plainly. You'll miss your destiny. Because there is no destiny from God that looks good when you're on the journey. He said, eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor mind can conceive what God has in store. So if every decision you make is based on the way that it looks, can I say something hard? You're already under the influence of the spirit of Antichrist. Because you're operating life based on how the world does it. I don't live by sight, I live by faith. I don't live by feelings, I live by that still small voice that says this is the way, walk ye in it. I don't live by how it makes me feel because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Last thing is this, write this down. Proximity will determine your potency. So God says, no, 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 I didn't put you on this earth to, to live in a bubble. I put you on this earth to impact the culture. But hear me, you can't impact the culture that has impacted you. I've placed you there to have an impact, to bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But hear me, you, 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 you can't influence something with a diluted substance. I have, a, I have one of my favorite t-shirts on. Uh, it's a t-shirt. 
And uh, those of you who uh, know the art of mixing Kool-Aid, you understand that this is an age-old tradition that I believe was passed down from Christ himself. <laughs> the secret art of making Kool-Aid. <laughs> A couple things about making Kool-Aid. Let me just help you to be discerning. Uh, if you're watching somebody make Kool-Aid and when it comes time to put the sugar in, they grab a spoon. The only thing the spoon is for is stirring. If you start dipping sugar into the, you know, just, no, I'm good. I'll have water. Because <laughs> that's what that is going to taste like when you're done with it. I need somebody who has the anointing of God on their life that, that can pick up that bag of sugar, that can make that perfect nozzle, and that can pour and carry on a perfect conversation not looking because the discernment of God will tell me when to stop, when to go, and when to keep. You had the whole tub of water, this little pack of color, that's all it was. You start drinking that, it's not potent enough to make you wired like it was designed to do. I find there's so many Christians. We got just enough Jesus poured in us to color us. But to not change the flavor of what we taste like. And we're just as bitter, just as fearful, just as judgmental, just as lacking hope, lacking faith, lacking vision past tomorrow. And God is saying, how in the world am I supposed to impact a world through a church that's lost its purpose? Two verses, Genesis chapter 13, verse 12. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. One of the things that you guys don't know is I, I, I usually have all our leaders that they sit right here on the front row. And uh, the entire message, they don't listen uh, to anything that I preach. Brandon, can you get this shot real quick? Switch, switch to Brandon. Take the verse down. Show them, oh, yeah, go down a little bit. Um, because the whole time that I preach, drop the camera down. Uh, yeah, 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 there you go, there you go. Come on, look at that camera work, look at that camera work. Uh, go back to Brandon. Yeah, there we go, okay. I usually preach right on the edge. I, this is the place of anointing, by the way. You, you don't get the power of God back here. It's something about right here where his anointing falls. And they're not listening to me because they think I'm going to fall off. And I'm not going to lie, there's been a couple of Sundays where it's like, whoa, I'm Jesus, I'm telling you, I'm just, you know, that's why I pretend like I'm dancing because I actually nearly fell off the platform. This, this, this is where Lot built his marriage. Right on the edge of godliness. This is where Lot raised his kids. This is not figurative, this is literal. This is where Lot built his wealth. Lot lived so close to evil that he wasn't evil, but she could smell it all on him. And because of that, he was not able to impact 
the exact region that God had great plans for. Great plans for. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. No, read in the New Testament where he said Sodom and Gomorrah in the end times is going to be in a better position than a lot of people who call themselves God followers. When we park our lives so close to the edge, God says, how in the world are you going to impact, set the temperature of something that I placed you in but never called you to be of? I remember freshman year in college, you can imagine college, you're just trying not to be a loser. And if you kind of put the whole story together, I'd been homeschooled for 12 years. So this is like my first time around people. And I was so excited. I was so excited. I was going to have friends. My friends weren't going to have my same last name. And it was, it was, <laughs> can't wait for freshman year. They put me in a quad. This was the University of Maryland. I was in Easton Six for all you Terps. You know where that is. That's it was the slums of North Campus. But I went in there and I was so focused on fitting in that all of the God and Holy Ghost that was in me, just keeping to myself. Now, I still went to church every Sunday. They were at Stamp at the Union Party or down Frat Row or whatever it may be, and I was the youth pastor preaching to six kids. I was anointed. But then when I went back to school on Monday and we're sitting in the cafeteria, what did you do? Man, the party was wild. Yo, cops showed up, started shooting rubber bullets. You know where the party was lit. It was crazy. What did you do? Uh, I went home this weekend. Now that weekend is the weekend that people got filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, saved, lives were changed. I went home. I was, because I was so close to the edge, I wanted to fit in. Around people who cuss really well. I know you're not supposed to say that as a Christian, but there's some people, I mean, some people that cuss, and don't even sound right coming up. Some people that cuss, and it's poetic. <laughs> I mean, like, how do you string that? My goodness, that was, that was artistic. <laughs> Those were the friends that I hung out with. No, I, I didn't cuss. I never started cussing, but everybody around me did. You know what I noticed? I noticed that I wouldn't cuss, but I started to speak with more edgy words. I started using acronyms and, and substitutes. And, and after freshman year, over the summer, I stepped back and I said, wow, they impacted me a whole lot more than I impacted them. I'm not as ratchet as they were. I know that's judgmental, but it's the truth. <laughs> I didn't go all the way to where they were, but watch this. They didn't come at all to where I was. I had no impact in the area that I by the power of the Holy Spirit, I made a decision from that point on. God, wherever you send me, I'm going to be me. And part of being me is that the power of God is on me. And that he has brought me to preach hope, to heal the brokenhearted, to restore that which was torn down, to be a vessel that's carrying the power of God. And guess what? It'll cost me. It'll cost me some friends. It'll cost me some clients. It'll cost my brand. It'll have some family members thinking that, who do you think you are? We've been through the same thing. Yeah, but I didn't go through by myself. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. 
That's what Jesus said. He said, I offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. He said, I will not be disgraced. Hear me. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I know, can I add something to the Bible? This is just Stephen, not heresy. That in the end, I will not be put to shame. If I'm going to live a counterculture Christianity, I'm going upstream, downwind. And it's going to take some setting my face like flint. I don't care who you're canceling. That's not of God. I don't care what you say the definition of life is. Nope, it's not going to define me. I don't care what you say a man of the world or influence or whatever is supposed to look like. That's not who I am. I'm a man of God. I don't care what you say my wife is supposed to submit. Never. No, 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 no. I'm laying my life down. It's not going to feel good. It's not going to look good. It's definitely not going to make me look good. But guess what? At the end, and can I clarify? The end is not heaven. <laughs> I ain't waiting to die. When he's finished his perfect work in me, and I pop out in destiny, God says, you're not going to be ashamed of where you are. And all of a sudden, everybody's going to wish they were where you are. Because you said, I'm doing it God's way. Father God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful that, yes, we're in a world that is opposite to everything that you are, but you haven't left us here alone, God. You've placed your Holy Spirit in us. It's probably what you said, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. God, I'm praying for that Christian that's in that fraternity or that sorority or is in that law office or works at that hospital or that school or is the assistant to that politician works at that news agency or is in that family that just feels like there's so much around me that's opposite to what God's placed in me God I pray in this moment that you would open their eyes not to what's around them to the power that you've placed in them. God, we are ambassadors. We are placed here not to survive, but to impact, to transform, to be light. Just where you are with your eyes closed and your head bowed, if you could pray this prayer with me, say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this message personal to you. I'll tell you this, it is impossible to impact anything around you. It's impossible to be light in the midst of darkness if you don't first have that light inside of you. And that light doesn't come from an intellectual knowledge that God is real. That light comes from the surrender of your heart saying, God, I don't just want to know that you're real. I want you to be real in my life. The only way that that happens is if you invite him in. Maybe 
you call yourself a Christian, but you know it doesn't go past an intellectual belief. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ, but you know in your heart of hearts, I can't say that the hope, the light of God is real inside of me, and I want him to be my source. If that's you right where you are, whether you're sitting in this room, whether you're driving in your car in a living room or a kitchen, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I want you. I want all of who you are, all your hope, all your peace, all your joy, and all your values. Today, I surrender. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person that has made the greatest decision ever? Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.